Election Studio on Cambridge 105 Radio. In eight days' time, the city and South Cambridgeshire will vote in the most important general election in a generation. Eight candidates are standing in Cambridge, three in South Cambridgeshire, and over the next week and a half, we're speaking to them all. I'm Julian Clover. Welcome to Election Studio, your next MP. Rod Cantrell is a councillor for Newnham and a trustee for homeless charity Winter Comfort. He is also the Lib Dem candidate for Cambridge and he joins me uh, this morning. Good morning, Rod. Good morning, Julian. Thank you very much for coming in. I guess we have to start, as a lot of these interviews do, uh, with Brexit and in particular the Lib Dem promise to stop Brexit. And is that resonating in the way that you might have hoped at the start of the campaign? Well, as you say, I I think this election both starts and ends with Brexit. And our position has been very clear, certainly over the last three years since the referendum, that we want to stop Brexit and we're the strongest voice for Remain. Um, We were calling for a second referendum even when it was unfashionable Mm. in 2017. But now it's more more than a referendum now, though, which is what you're calling for. And some people, even those, as you know, who think remaining was absolutely the best idea. They're just that little bit on edge about this definite so I, stopping. I, I would make two observations. Um, there was a revoke Article 50 petition in the earlier on in the year, in the summer. Six million people signed that. 28,000 people from this constituency, Cambridge, signed that petition. We live in a representative democracy, first past the post. The party with the most votes gets to form the government and and implement its manifesto. And in our manifesto, we have that position. But the reality is also that we continue to campaign for that second referendum. We believe it's in the interests of the country that that issue of Brexit is put back to the people. And we will campaign vigorously with all our effort and all our heart to actually remain in the EU when that second referendum takes place. So it's kind of a dual strategy now, if you like. Um, If the Liberal Democrats were to form the next government, I I suspect even yourself would admit that uh, that's unlikely, but one never knows what the balance of power might be, and whilst I suspect you might be nervous on any more coalitions, if there was, a, if you like, the opportunity to have some leverage... That would be the point, presumably, when the Lib Dems would say, oh, if you want our support, we're having a referendum, please. Well, I think you just need to look at the facts, right? The facts are that we are the strongest party of Remain. We have come together with those other parties of the Remain, Green, Plaid, and to a certain extent, SNP. The two main parties, the Conservatives, in effect, are Brexit light. Labour are basically still sitting on the fence, looking both ways with this crazy idea that they're going to go, Corbyn's going to go back and negotiate another deal with Europe. And the Europeans are already saying, well, actually, how can that be credible? Because you're not going to recommend it to the people. So Labour's position continues to kind of flip. But Howard, Howard Wilson was neutral. One, many would argue, maybe more neutral than Jeremy Corbyn is now. But in the 1975 referendum, the then Labour Prime Minister Howard Wilson said, well, you know, the cabinet can do what they want but, you know, I'm going to try and keep out of it, but this is my view. But he wasn't going back and negotiating a deal. 
Corbyn is proposing to go back, negotiate a deal, and then not recommend it to the people. I mean, how crazy can that be? And not only that, he's going to have a one-day conference where the Labour Party is going to decide whether they're a Brexit party or a Remain party. And remember in the Labour conference of, of September this year, I was reminded by a Labour Party member here in Cambridge to go and have a look at the videotape. They voted in a motion that the, the Labour Party should be the party of Remain, and that fell. That fell at their conference. And then they voted again for this composite position that they've suddenly taken. So the reality is the only true Remain voice in this city, the strongest Remain voice, is the Liberal Democrats. And if people want to stop Brexit, a vote for us on the 12th of December will achieve that. Now, we know, of course, that your Labour rival, Daniel Zeichner, <laughs> despite what one might, you know, the uncertainty over the party, has been, been firm on his... Uh, remain position, but look across the border in in south in South Cams, and there the Lib Dems are are snapping at the heels of the Conservative candidate, who is um, very much as I think all Conservative candidates have to be. You can listen online to the interview we did with him here here yesterday. But Anthony Brown is definitely for leaving. The Lib Dems are definitely for staying, as you've articulated there, and so is the Labour candidate in um, in South Camps. Dan Grief, he also wants to remain. Do you think he should stand down to let the Lib Dems have a have a, have a clear run for a, a remain position in South Camps? Well, I think there, there are two points I would make. The the party that has the best opportunity to stop a Conservative majority are the Liberal Democrats. 80% of our target seats are Conservative-facing, like in South Kemp's. If we achieve that goal, there will not be a Conservative majority and there will not be a Conservative Brexit. But it's more important than that because we need in the next Parliament to keep the Labour Party honest on Remain. And so a Liberal Democrat MP here in Cambridge will achieve that. And I'll, say, I'll tell you why. If you look at the Remain voice in the Parliamentary Labour Party in the last Parliament, the strongest voice by far was Tom Watson. He's not there anymore. So that voice will be silenced in the Parliamentary Labour Party in the next Parliament. So the only way the voters of Cambridge know for certain that we will get a second referendum is if they elect a Liberal Democrat MP. OK, now we, we touched on the coalition government um, a short while ago. And I'm wondering if that is still haunting the Lib Dems a little bit when you see... I'm thinking of the uh, uh, the question time, the, the individual one of a couple of weeks ago on the Friday, and your leader, Joe Swinson, was getting a lot of hostile questioning, and it was all going back to, you know, when you were in the coalition government, uh, you did this, you, you, you did that. Is that a problem for the Lib Dems now? On the doorstep, that doesn't come up. Uh, to be frank, on the doorstep, the overwhelming number of people are talking about Brexit. That is what this election is about. And, and, you know, as you're most probably familiar, candidates knock on a lot of doors and speak to a lot of people during the campaign it's period. It's not the knocking on the doors. It's the amount of paper on my, on my doormat <laughs> right. uh, from, from your, yourself and your, your Labour opposite number at the moment. Well, uh, you know, as I say, I'm just the candidate. And as my wife says, I, I've seen so many, too many um, pictures of your head on paper at the moment coming through our own door. Now, trust me, if the election <laughs> goes badly for you, just get into the printing business. It's clearly, it's clearly the way forward. Indeed. But it... That, that is, there is an important point to, 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 to that comment, which is basically this seat in Cambridge we take really seriously. I personally believe that Cambridge is a Liberal city and it's had a Liberal Democrat MP for 10 years 
up until 2015. And the sense I get on the doorstep is that people want another Liberal Democrat MP in this election. And that's why we are committed to do everything possible mm. over the next few days to deliver that result but just, for, just, just for on, residents. Just on that point, though, about the coalition government, it, it does, you know, looking to various... The, the Question Time uh, interview I mentioned and also some of the other things, it's almost as if the... Uh, Liberal Democrats are being held more responsible for what happened in that coalition government than the, your majority partners in the Conservatives. And I'm, and I'm wondering why that is. Look, I think through the lens of, of history, what you see is actually we acted as a material break for the Conservatives in that Parliament. If you look post-15, what the Conservatives did when they were in, in power as a majority government, the things they undertook were far worse than, than actually the, step, the actions taken in the, in the coalition government. And actually, you know, if we look at those parts of the country, I come from a mining community in Nottinghamshire, right? I mean, they have been left behind by political parties of all colours. I mean, the Labour government between 1997 and 2010 didn't exactly help Ashfield in no, terms but I, I, of, I mean, of you, them being able to access opportunity and get on in life. But I wonder, you say that Brexit is the issue on the doorsteps. I'm, I, there must surely be, you know, students or former students with £30,000 debt and they're still slightly concerned about what the Lib Dems did and were responsible for with regards to tuition fees. My experience on the doorstep is I haven't come across those people. Um, I think the reality is if you look at the current generation of students, they're focused on other issues other than tuition fees. Um, obviously, political opponents like to, to bring history back up, um, but the reality is on the doorstep, it is about Brexit. It's, it's this, As you said at the start, Julian, I mean, this election is a once-in-a-lifetime election. It's the biggest issue that we face in peacetime Britain. And that's what people are voting on in this election. OK, well, we'll try and... Um, it was difficult to put Brexit to one side, but we'll, we'll try and do that for, for, for a little while. I'd like to talk a little bit more about education, in particular um, one of the Lib Dem proposals to recruit more teachers. I'm, I'm wondering if the, if the challenge is really to keep those ones we've got. Well, it is. I mean, firstly... You Two know, in five, I think, are leaving, according to one, well, one first, of the teaching unions. Uh, firstly, you know, I think teachers are our nation-builders. You know, teachers are creating society of tomorrow. We need to invest in our teachers. We need to hire more teachers. We also, importantly, need to let them get on and do their job. So we have a very clear position, and particularly here in Cambridge, where, as you say, the, the, there is a acute shortage of teachers. So we have a very clear position. We'll invest £4.6 billion in the first 12 months of the next parliament, and that will rise to £10 billion over the life of the parliament. We will increase teachers' salaries, so the entry salary is 30000 and we will recruit 20,000 new teachers. We will also... The, change the whole basis on which assessment is undertaken of schools. So instead of having an Ofsted, we would have some other inspection process, which is actually not driven off a tick box mm. mechanism, but something which is far more um, re relates to what the teachers are seeking to achieve, which is educate our children. And how do, I just wondered how that gets achieved as to when if this body was to be set up and uh, off, Ofsted to, to be disbanded, would it, would it then be 
that the same set of people are going out doing the inspections now, doing, having well, to do them under I, a new set of rules. I, I would hope not. Mm. I would hope not. Because actually, coming back, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure you, myself, all your listeners have had that inspirational teacher that has been so influential in terms of their education and ultimately their life. And I think the problem today is that teachers are under an immense amount of pressure in terms of performance and box ticking and so forth, that for many, they, they become disillusioned with the career. And actually, as I said, our teachers are our nation builders. Mm. And, they and, need uh, to be inspirational for tomorrow's future society. And along the way, is it possible to do something about this imbalance of, of funding which Cambridgeshire seems to... And I never quite worked out as to how that was... Well, allowed to be in in the first place, but then to continue year on year, I, I think the figure was something like uh, four hundred pounds less per child than the and the average fund than the average funded authority, and uh, sixteen hundred less than um, uh, Westminster. Well, look, Cambridge children are at the bottom of the pile when it comes to school funding, and we need to fix that. And and clearly, as MP, I will be a very loud, strong voice to make sure that that's addressed in the next Parliament because it it's not fair. And particularly in an area that's growing. So, for example, I was at Trumpington Park School a couple of weeks ago and there they have funding for the first three years of the school, but they're not certain the next three years of the school. And the school's opened new three years ago. Yes. They're not certain of the funding for the next three years, which is that because is they're crazy. waiting for people to come into the area? Well, with the it's new a build mixture of the formula, it's a mixture of people coming into the area and so forth. And so it leaves an immense amount of uncertainty in terms of the head head teacher and the, the the teachers actually being able to plan ahead. It's a bit of a balancing act, really, isn't it? I, I appreciate your point on, on the planning ahead, but things particularly in that part of Cambridge and also obviously not in the constituency that you're fighting for in South Cambridgeshire with all the building and development work which is going and new new schools springing up and then, I don't know, the bit of the project gets delayed so they're not going to get the pupils. So it, it, you need the going forward, yet at the same time you need the flexibility to be able to adjust upwards or downwards. But you, you end up in a crazy position where pupils are having to travel across the city to actually a new school. And that's just absolutely crazy. So parents are faced with, you know, dropping off one child at one school and then travelling across the city with the other child to, to go to a new school. That is just a crazy position we're in. Having said that, it is very important that as we are building these new communities, that it's not just bricks and mortar, that we are putting in place those other key components of those communities, such as schools, doctors, surgeries, all those things that make a community important. I'd like to talk a little bit about climate change. Of course, it's uh, in the news uh, this, this morning uh, again with the conference uh, uh, happening. Um, I, I wonder how Cambridge can manage the needs of the outlying villages whilst making the city centre itself green. Because if you go out, as you'll know, not too far out of... Of, of Cambridge, you know, to get a bus you have to come into Cambridge and then go back out again. Um, and that means that people will have a car and they'll come all the way and it's mm. fine for, for me to wander around on my bicycle, but um, when I need to go out to see family in South Cambridgeshire, only way to get there is with a car. So a survey was undertaken about 18 months, two years ago. The two top priorities that Cambridge residents have, one is transport and the other one is housing. And if you look at transport, I was the devolved mayoral candidate in 17, 
Um, we have failed in the intermediate period between 17 and now in actually getting our act together to deliver a reliable, cheap, sustainable public transport system. I'm a big proponent of a tram light rail system. It's, it's technology that's proven. If you go to Nottingham, for example, where I come from, they have a tram system, it works really well, it gets the cars out of the city centre, people know they can rely on it in terms of the frequency and the cost, and so people are getting out of their cars, and that's precisely what we need to do here in Cambridge. Now, you know, the, 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 the devolved mayor has his ideas on tunnels and so forth, but the reality is, I read now that it's the earliest the tunnels could be delivered is 2041. That's far too late. We need to actually deliver for people now because, as you say, the growth will continue, particularly outside Cambridge. Those new new communities will be built, and if there is not good quality public transport, people will stay in their cars. And that is the challenge. Isn't it? I, I, I notice you, you use the word public transport, but of course it's public transport by a, a private operator. Do we um, need to go back to the days of you know Eastern Counties, or as I remember the culture of the corporation buses going around the town? The mayor has the power to franchise to actually deliver that public transport on buses specifically um, through his office. He hasn't taken that up. He, he seems very slow in terms of engaging around that whole agenda. Um, but that's the critical thing. And should that, government put pressure on not just Mayor Palmer, but all of his um, equivalents uh, where there are one and the other bodies outside of that in order to get some sort of well, look, sensible uh, integrated policy? Look, if, if, you, if you look at other parts of the country, so for example Manchester, and, and when I was the mayoral candidate, what I was proposing was actually we had a transport for Cambridgeshire, which is like transport for London. So it would be a transport authority that would be able to actually not only integrate that public transport component, but actually coordinate it in a way that works for residents, not just in Cambridge, but in the greater area. And actually, places like Manchester have been very successful at doing that. And that's something we need. And we need it now, because actually, if we're not careful, the growth of this city will collapse in on itself. Mm -hmm. And as you said, teachers are already voting with their feet, because actually... It's not just about basically um, the quality of life here. It's about the ability to live here, the cost of living, mm. transportation, all those things. And people are moving to other parts of the country as a result. Yeah, n another element of the Lib Dem transportation policy which um, caught my eye was this idea of a tax on, on frequent flyers. Yeah. Um, how would that one work? So there are two components to it. If you are, if someone who goes on holiday once a year, that is not, we're not going to change the tax regime in relation to that individual. If you are a frequent flyer, i.e. you go an, a number of times, um, and it's about 10 to 15% of all flyers are those frequent flyers, and then there's a basically a much higher tax that we would charge. Now, clearly, that's only the first step because one of the biggest issues in relation to the climate is aviation and aviation fuel and so forth mm. um, and I believe that actually we need to do more in relation to that area because I, I wonder if those those people who are taking the free, uh, the flights more, more often they're also probably the people driving around in large cars and the reason why they do that is because they can afford it and I wonder if that just means they say oh this flippant tax but they pay it because they can and that doesn't help well, anybody. Firstly, um, we need to address the fundamental issue of aviation itself, and aviation being a, a key driver in terms of climate change. And, and that is about 
such things as not uh, supporting airport expansion. So we're very clear in terms of what our position is in terms of airport capacity expansion across the UK. Um, but actually making sure that the individual recognises um, and recognises in their pocket that if they're flying a lot, then actually that is a cost to them and it's, a, it's an environmental cost that we're going to charge them. Mm. Uh, you mentioned, uh, mentioned, I think in previous interviews, you were brought up in, in, in Yorkshire, I think. I think Nottinghamshire. It, Nottinghamshire, Not oh Yorkshire. dear, that's a, Not... that's a disaster, isn't it? So how North did you... Nottinghamshire. <laughs> how did you make your way from Nottinghamshire down to Cambridge? Well, so, look, I mean, it's interesting, and we, we, we talk about fossil fuel industries, right? I mean, my dad was a coal miner, and, and, and where I come from is a classic illustration where the fossil fuel industry, coal mining, was closed down. And actually, it's important we do that transition from fossil fuel industries to green industries in a way that actually makes sure that those people who are impacted... Mm you know, are able to be given opportunity and that, transi- that transition works properly. Because actually what you find in the community I came from is that actually once the coal mines closed, opportunity fell away completely. Um, I, look, I was very fortunate. I went to a comprehensive, went to a sixth form college, managed to get a place here at Cambridge. It changed my life. So, so. you're one of the many people who come to university here and, and got stuck, as it were. <laughs> Indeed. Well, look, I met my wife here. We've had kids. They grew up here. I mean, Cambridge is... I, I love this city. Mm. It's my second home. Um, and, and it would be a fantastic if I had the opportunity to represent its people. Uh, your, your company, um, Millington Advisory Partners, um, there's been some flack um, because of work which has been done for, for BP. Yeah. Um, I, just, I just kind of want to be, be clear as, 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 to what ha- as to what happened here. What was the, the nature of the work which so we, was done? And more, we, just as important, when? So we, we firstly, before, before I just explain, my dad, who was a coal miner, as I mentioned, he, he taught me when I grew up to be open, straight and honest. So I've never worked for BP. BP have never given campaign money to my campaign. I was part of a team that advised a project in which BP was involved, which was actually in relation to voltovoltaic film for um, solar panels in 2002, 2003. So nothing to do with chemicals as such. Obviously, the chemicals will be involved in that that, that side of things, but not... Nothing to do with oil or big oil. And it's a real shame because in this campaign, right, and, and... my political opponents have chosen to use that um, against me. And not only that, they've chosen to use a reference to our leader, Joe Swinson, in relation to fracking. Well, actually, uh, Joe won a court case in Scotland that has forced the SNP to retract a very identical statement that my political opponents are it, still It's interesting. Using. BP and used to if, be one of those companies where everybody's in Britain, you say, ah, oh, well, fantastic BP, and now they've become this well, sort of I bogeyman. Could, I, I think there's an important point here about politics, and very much so about the way in which the people of Cambridge want their politicians to do politics. I want to put forward a positive proposition in terms of what I want to do for Cambridge. If I'm elected, I want to be able to sleep well at night. I don't want to, to, to basically be in a position where I, I've, I've won the election on a basis which I don't think is honest. Mm. And actually, this is the type of politics which, you know, it's like Trump-style politics where, you know, a, 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 an inkling, an indication basically then gets blown out of all proportion 
And you then see public property, graffiti on public property, and so forth. I noticed some and, posters, for example, correct. on and then uh, you see uh, actually, Street. You know, where will that lead to? It will lead to graffiti on private property. It will lead to threats. It will lead, and, and in my view, that's not the politics that the people of Cambridge want. So and just, 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 just to be clear, and I, I know you were clear there, but it, it's straight. It seems straightforward. It was uh, 2006, 2007? No, 2002 to 2004. So some, some time ago. Well, over 15 years yeah, ago. No. And I think Michael Crick of Channel 4, who, who you know, as, as you know, is quite a kind of... A bit of a terrier, isn't terrier, it? Um, I think he sums it up great, that it's desperation politics of my political uh, opponent and it's dirty tricks and their canvas data must be showing them something. I must finish with your some of the, the work you do with uh, Winter Comfort. What, what brought you there in the first place? So, um, interestingly, I, I, the whole issue of housing has been something that I've been passionate about for a long period of time. And actually, homelessness in Cambridge, when I was a student here, um, I, I did volunteer. And, and Winter Comfort, at that point, wasn't really established. It used to be called the bus at the back of what is now the... Grand Arcade. Oh, yes. wasn't, there yes, wasn't yes, anything. Yes. There wasn't anything there at where the Grand Arcade is now. But it used to be a bus where people could go and get hot soup and a blanket. And um, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to become a trustee in 2005 at Winter Comfort. And Winter Comfort does a fantastic job. I mean, it, it's it's basically it, it's the day centre for homeless people across the city. And what we have seen is that, you know, that the city council... The city council claimed there's 27 rough sleepers last year, which is ridiculous. I mean, you know, Winter Comfort believe it's somewhere in the region of 80, 90. And actually, you know, we live in a very wealthy city and, and we should be able to basically house all our people, put a roof over and their heads. And is that something which should be done locally or, or, or nationally, perhaps? Well, I think it's at two levels. I've done work with Shelter on a national basis and we, we have a, a national homeless crisis, a national housing crisis, but actually locally, I think we have the resources and ability to do so. So that's why I'm calling for the City Council to offer a bed every night to all rough sleepers. It would only cost £70,000 a year. You know, the City Council bailed out Cambridge Life to the tune of about half a million, right? Now, where's the priorities there, right? Where's the priorities there? And actually, that's what that, you know, I, I believe that Cambridge residents want their MP to be a, a dominant, strong voice on the national stage, but also to call out people locally so that actually the things that Cambridge residents value, such as basically making sure everybody has a roof over their head every night, is something that the MP can champion on behalf of the residents. Well, Rod, thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, Rod Cantrell for the Liberal Democrats, uh, thank you. I should remind everyone uh, that there are seven other candidates who are taking part in the election in Cambridge. Jeremy Caddick for the Green Party, Rod Cantrell from the Lib Dems, who've heard from this morning, Peter Dorr for the Brexit Party, Keith Garrett for Rebooting Democracy, Miles Hurley, Independent, Russell Perrin for the Conservatives, Jane Robbins for the Social Democratic Party and Daniel Zeichner for the Labour, Labour Party. Uh, tomorrow on the programme we're going to be joined by Rebooting Democracy's Keith Garrett, also uh, the Independent Miles Hurley, both of whom are standing in Cambridge. Uh, next here though is Phil Rowe. Thank you very much. I'll see you for breakfast with Lucy tomorrow at seven. Bye.
105 Radio. Oakington Garden Centre is a family-owned business with an extensive range of plants and garden supplies. Oakington Garden Centre will give you free expert advice on all your gardening questions in friendly, comfortable surroundings. We're open all year round. Have a beautiful cafe serving breakfast and lunch with real home-style cooking and the best bit, easy free parking. Call us now on Cambridge 234818. Check out our website, oakingtongardencentre.co.uk or why not just pay us a visit? We're just two minutes from the A14. Oakington Garden Centre. Everything for your home and garden. I just wanted to tell you about the Radio Player app. It's the perfect way to listen to Cambridge 105 Radio when I'm on the go. And it's not just live radio. I can catch up on all my favourite Cambridge 105 shows or interviews. Just click the More tab. And when I favourite a show, I know the latest episode will always be ready for me in my radio section. And you know the best thing? Downloading Radio Player is absolutely free. 